This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 30 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am going to revisit the topic of executive functioning skills, which I started out with at the beginning of the show in the first couple episodes. And this past month or so, I've really been diving into literacy and how to help kids to build the reading and spelling skills that they need in order to be successful in school and in life. So of course, language skills and reading skills, all of those things, being able to comprehend a paragraph or write a paper or do those types of things that you have to do in school and and often some of the things that you would end up needing to do in your job after school, depending on where you choose to work, All of those things require executive functioning skills. Again, executive functioning skills are the skills that involve higher level planning and organization and help you get through your day. And I will be diving into some specific examples in this episode, but really what I wanted to talk about today is a high level view of what all of the different individuals who are supporting kids can do based on their perspective, in order to support kids in school and at home and help them to be independent and successful by building their executive functioning skills. 
So what I mean by that is that there are a lot of different people who are supporting kids. There are teachers, there are their parents, obviously, and then there are other therapists. I know that a lot of people who listen to this show are speech and language pathologists because I do have a pretty big audience of speech pathologists. I am a speech pathologist myself. So I do talk a lot about the SLP's perspective, but of course, there are other professionals who can support kids' executive functioning skills as well. And when I am supporting different professionals and parents in some of my online programs, I get a lot of questions about, all right, what am I supposed to do and what is my role exactly in this process? And what are the specific things that I can do day to day to support my child or my student? So I wanted to clarify how all of the different roles can be different and how this can actually play out in day-to-day life and just practically how we can all work together as a team to support kids. Before I really get going on this topic, though, it makes sense for me to do a quick overview of what executive functioning skills are again. And really the easiest way for me to do that is just to talk about the red flags of executive dysfunction. So how do you know if your child is struggling with executive functioning skills? Now, of course, if you want an overview of executive functioning, In a nice, concise document, I do recommend that you check out my free parent guide. All you need to do to get that is just go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash parent guide, and you can actually sign up for that free guide. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash parent guide. In the guide, I explain all the different types of skills that fall under executive functioning, under that high-level organization, and I also talk about some of the red flags that there are issues. So, for example, some of those being that you have a child who needs directions repeated multiple times before they will follow through with them, or If they seem to have no sense of time, they always seem to be running late, or the simplest disruptions to their daily routines can really throw them off. So maybe during those disruptions, they have a hard time applying problem-solving skills and figuring out how to adapt, and unexpected changes cause them to be very anxious. If they need constant reminders to get things done or a lot of hand-holding, more so than you think that they should need at their age to get things done, especially things that you think that they should be doing independently, whether it be their homework or whether it be simple daily tasks around the house, like making themselves a meal or picking up their things around the house. Or if they seem to make careless mistakes, sometimes appear to be not motivated to do hard work or things that require any sort of effort, and they tend to procrastinate or delay work, and sometimes even flat out refuse to do certain things. Or if they get easily distracted or tend to show some impulsivity, so they might be doing one thing and they all of a sudden are doing something else that really wasn't what they were supposed to be doing. And you find that they're frequently distracted. A lot of these things are signs that 
there is an issue with executive functioning because executive functioning can help to provide that structure and organization to help you understand how to work towards a specific goal, to understand how long a task is going to take, and to know how to keep yourself organized and on track. Whether it be the simplest thing, such as getting yourself dressed in the morning, or whether it be something really complex, like writing a research paper, for example, all of those things require executive functioning skills. And of course, in order to be successful in school and life, it's really important that kids have these executive functioning skills because, number one, they're important within specific academic tasks, such as reading comprehension, writing a paper, doing a test, those types of things, or even keeping their homework organized. But also, just functionally, they're really important to help them to manage deadlines, to understand how long it takes to get things done. All of those things are so important for them to start developing now so that they can be successful functioning adults one day. Again, I do go through the specific types of executive functions in the parent guide. So again, to download that guide and get more of an explanation, you can go to Dr. Karen Dudak Brannon backslash Parent Guide. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide to get that free download and learn about the different types of executive functions. So now let's talk a little bit about the different roles and people who might be supporting kids. And in this specifically, I'm talking about kids in kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, really. Honestly, this could apply even for some kids who are in college as well. But really, we're talking about that elementary through secondary age group. And I wanted to talk about the different people who would play a part in supporting those kids and how their roles can be different and also where there might be some overlap. Because when you are a parent, it can be really tricky to figure out who can help with what and what questions to ask, what person. And then if you are a a therapist, if you're a teacher, sometimes it can be really confusing figuring out where your scope ends and where someone else's begins. And yes, it it really should be something where everybody has this clear picture about who does what. But the truth is, is that among professionals, and even just in the the way that they're prepared and the professional development that's available to them, there's not always a consensus about what they should be doing. Honestly, that's going to be the case in any medical or educational profession, because there are so many different research studies and philosophies, and there are also different situations depending on the facility and the amount of support available. So there are always going to be some subtle differences in how things work from place to place. That doesn't mean that professionals aren't equipped to support kids, but what it does mean is that we we need to have an understanding of the qualifications of the different people who support kids, and also the different levels of access they have to kids depending on the unique situation. So what I am going to do is 
I'm going to give an example of how this could look based on the way school systems often function. But know that within this example that I give, this is just a starting point. There may be some flexibility and nuances depending on your situation and depending on how things work for you locally, whether it be in your school system or whether it be based on your your family situation. So I'm going to talk about it from the teacher's perspective, from the therapist's perspective, and from the parent's perspective. So what different people can do to support kids as they develop these independent skills when it comes to both their language and literacy skills and executive functioning. I'm going to start with how it might look for a teacher. And I am doing this from the perspective of somebody who has been a parent working with teachers to support my own child, and then also someone who has worked in the school systems and collaborated with a lot of teachers and also been in a lot of classrooms and just observing what teachers do. Because I, as a school speech pathologist, when I was in the school systems, I really had to have an idea of what the teachers were doing so that I knew how to provide support for the kids that were on my caseload. So obviously, I don't speak for all teachers, but I'm speaking more from what I have observed. So when you have someone who is the the classroom teacher, so this would be the general education teacher, the person who is the homeroom teacher, if you have a child in early elementary school, and then if you have an older child who has a different teacher for every subject, they might have some kind of a homeroom teacher but then they might have different teachers for different classes. And typically, in either of those situations, there is a core curriculum that kids are expected to learn. And the reason that that is the case is because there has to be some kind of standard as far as are kids making progress, are teachers doing what they're supposed to do to stay accountable. And also there's been a lot of work and research into understanding what are useful skills that kids need to know in order to be functioning adults one day and just to have worldly knowledge and and know how to function and be good people when they grow up. Now, is it perfect? And is there room for improvement in the way that the curriculums are designed? Of course, we're always doing that. But there are a lot of good things about the way the curriculums are designed these days because we do have a lot of people who end up being successful adults going through the standard school system. So with all that being said, just Know that, of course, I think that there's always room for improvement, but there are a lot of things that are being done that are working. So the teachers typically are the ones that are the content area experts. They're the ones that know what is expected at that grade level for all the different content areas that they teach. If you have an elementary school teacher, then typically they are the one that is delivering all of the instruction for the core curriculum. So they're the ones that are teaching reading, they're teaching math, they're teaching science and social studies. And and typically there are some other subjects that they're teaching as well. And then obviously that gets a little bit more focused and specific as you get to the older grades. How this typically works 
and how districts have typically been measuring the effectiveness of the teacher's instruction and their curriculum is that there are certain standards that kids need to meet based on local norms. So locally, how kids tend to do on certain performance benchmarks. And what districts want to see is that at least 80% of the student population should be responding pretty well to the standard instruction. So they should be doing pretty well in school based on just being in the regular classroom with the typical level of support. The remaining 20%, typically there are about 15% of kids who don't necessarily need to have special education services, but they might need something that is above and beyond the typical curriculum when it comes to support. And this could just be that the teacher provides them some additional accommodations, or maybe they get some extra help a couple times a week in reading or wherever it has been identified that they need some extra support. And then There's the remaining 5% of the population that needs really intensive support. And a lot of times these are the students that end up being referred for special education and have more permanent solutions in place. Whereas the other kids who need extra help, sometimes it's just temporary and it's not part of special education. But for the kids that need the intensive support, it should be, generally speaking, we aim to want it to be around 5%. And I mention all of this because within that standard curriculum, teachers are delivering the content, but what they're also doing is that they are teaching kids executive functioning skills along the way, and they should be modeling those types of things as they are teaching that content. So it should be really embedded. So there's not necessarily a class that is, this is your executive functioning class, but executive functioning skills are being taught throughout the day. So for example, when teachers are giving kids cognitive strategies in order to help them keep their work organized, a lot of times this would be If you have an older child, this would be the teacher who might be their study hall monitor or their homeroom teacher, or they might have some teacher that's kind of their check-in person. And that's often the person that is helping kids get organized and make sure that they have all of their things. Many times that person is working on some executive functioning strategies with students to help them stay organized. They don't necessarily use that term, but that is what they're doing. And then for younger kids, this is typically their classroom teacher. They over time, are wanting kids to be more and more independent with keeping their work organized at school, managing their homework assignments, managing their things, and things like that. And a lot of times teachers will, in the early grades, they'll be giving kids different steps that they need in order to complete assignments. And then they gradually fade the level of support that they're offering kids. So at first, they're walking them through step by step, giving them a lot of support. And then gradually, they're fading that support. And kids might be, for example, just working on things independently at their desks. And all of those things require executive functioning skills. 
And then over time, as as teachers start to give homework, those homework assignments, not just the organization of getting all the work together, but also within a specific assignment, there is an element of executive functioning required because usually there are directions you have to follow. You have to figure out how long is this going to take me and what are the steps I need to do in order to complete this math worksheet or whatever it is. So all of those things require executive functioning within those specific tasks. So teachers are always working on this with kids day in and day out. And Again, for about 80% of the student population, typically, kids will be able to learn these skills and develop at an appropriate pace that is going to allow them to be independent one day. But of course, you always have those kids that do need a little bit of extra support or sometimes a lot of extra support. This doesn't mean that teachers aren't doing their jobs. It just means that now it's time for some of those other professionals to step in because that's what they're there for. It's because we know that some kids are going to be fine with the standard curriculum, but we know that other kids are going to need something else. That's fine. That's why we have these other professionals like therapists, like special education teachers, and also why we like to work collaboratively with parents so that they can support their kids at home as well. Now, of course, a lot of parents whose kids don't need special education or don't qualify for special education services, of course, want to be proactive in helping their kids. And so they can provide a ton of support here and be a huge asset in this whole process when it comes to executive functioning. But I am going to talk about that at the end. So now what I wanted to address was, all right, what if you have kids who need more than what the general education curriculum and teacher are able to provide based on the way that the educational system works? What do you do then? Well, if that's the case, and if you have a child who does qualify for special education, there are a number of other people who can support that child in the school systems. So we have special education teachers, and then we have different therapists, which are often referred to as school service personnel who can also support kids. So this would be like the speech language pathologist, the social worker, the psychologist, And there are a number of other different therapists who provide services for kids in the school systems as well. So with the special education teacher, a lot of times where they function is that they do something that's similar to what a general education teacher would do, but many times it is more intensive. Sometimes it's at a slower pace and it is often remediating certain skills that kids need that they might not necessarily be getting enough of in the general education classroom. So that could be specific academic skills, but also many times that's executive functioning as well. And again, it's not necessarily called executive functioning training in the schools, but a lot of times what a special education teacher might end up doing is While the teacher is providing some structure and recommendations and assistance with kids just getting their homework assignments organized and then also giving them steps to complete those specific assignments in the classroom, 
all of which would be considered executive functioning, the special education teacher would just do that on a more individualized level and might be able to provide more support than what the general education teacher is able to provide because many times with the special education classroom, the classes are smaller and the teacher is able to give kids more attention. A lot of times the way that it works is that the special education teacher might actually come into the classroom while the general education classroom teacher is delivering the lesson and they might co-teach so that there's two teachers present. So in some way, shape, or form, it gives kids some additional structure with the things that they're already learning in their classroom so that they're able to keep up with the pace of the instruction. But typically, it is focused on what do we need to do in order to teach these academic skills and the executive functioning work is really embedded within that. It's not typically a separate class where it's, all right, we're going to have a therapy session that is just focused on building the connections you need in order to improve your executive functioning skills. Even though it does serve that purpose, it's just done within context of the different academic tasks. So since I have a large SLP audience, I wanted to talk next about what the speech pathologist might do in this particular scenario. If you have a student who is struggling with attention, language, and executive functioning, and how they would fit into the picture and where their scope of practice lies. Now, I don't want to seem like I'm ignoring psychologists and social workers and some of the other therapists, but I am going to mostly focus on the speech pathologist because I am one. So I really have an in-depth knowledge of what we can do. And I don't want to speak for other therapists without being in their shoes. I will generally talk about it because I have collaborated with a lot of different types of therapists, but obviously I can provide the most context and information about my own field. So when it comes to working with kids who tend to struggle with executive functioning skills, a lot of times these students will be referred to the speech pathologists, and, and many times they're also getting services from a special education teacher as well. But a lot of times the signs and symptoms might be that they're having a hard time following directions in the classroom and that they are not making progress academically, especially when it comes to reading and writing. So maybe they are having a hard time if they're in the early grades, they're not catching on to those early literacy skills. Even with math, they might have a hard time with some of the vocabulary. And if you have an older student, what tends to happen is that those children tend to be behind when it comes to learning to read and having a hard time decoding words, or they might have a hard time just comprehending what they're reading. And then when it comes to those written assignments, they might have a difficult time writing an organized answer that makes sense and that is on topic and just organizing their writing. And then also they might have 
a lot of grammatical errors. Their sentences might be really simple and lack detail. And just overall, they're not quite able to express what they want to express in a way that fully answers the questions. And a lot of times these kids will tend to miss steps on their assignments. They might not necessarily follow directions when they're reading as well as when they're listening to something. These are the kids who you tell them a couple things that you want them to do, and then you go and you find them not doing what they're supposed to be doing, or maybe they missed a step or they got distracted. So a lot of those things that I mentioned could be a sign that there is an issue with language processing and also executive functioning. And those are both things that a speech language pathologist would be able to to treat and would be able to provide support in helping those students. One of the most common questions that I get from the SLPs that I mentor is, all right, these students need support with a lot of different things. What the heck am I supposed to do? And How can I possibly fit that into the 40 minutes a week or so that I get with my students? Because typically, a school speech pathologist, if you have a student who is in the regular classroom the majority of the time, and then they're coming out for services like speech therapy services to work on comprehension and language A lot of times the speech pathologist might only have one session with them for a half an hour, not because they don't want to help, but simply because the way that caseload laws work and the school guidelines work, speech pathologists are limited in the number of minutes they have with students because they have such huge caseloads. Now, if you're seeing a private speech pathologist, then there is a little more leeway with that. A lot of times they're able to see students one-on-one. They might be able to see students who might not qualify in the school systems. They might be able to provide those services, even though the student might not necessarily be significantly impacted enough in order to qualify in the schools. So they might have a similar role, but they have more that they can cover because they are a private therapist as opposed to someone working at the schools. But I get the same questions from both private practice SLPs and school SLPs. And it's really, all right, where do I start with supporting these kids? And so When it comes to that type of intervention, what I have found and what I typically recommend for speech pathologists is that they really hone in on the language, the literacy, the vocabulary. A lot of the things that I've actually discussed in episodes 27, 28, and 29. So a lot of those vocabulary skills, morphology, and really diving deep into language, because a lot of times what happens is that kids who have comprehension issues, it's because they don't have the language skills that they need in order to have high-level comprehension. So what happens is that they are still having a hard time understanding what individual words mean. They don't necessarily have the vocabulary to support high-level comprehension because if you don't know what the words mean when you're reading or listening to something, then the overall message is not going to make sense to you. 
And also, if you don't have a good sense of how sentences are put together and you don't have a solid sense of syntax and grammar, then what's going to happen is that it's going to be hard for you to comprehend individual sentences. So a lot of the comprehension strategies that we teach kids in school, especially in the later grades, like state the main idea of what you just read or answer a question about what you just read or summarize what you just read, Well, that's hard for them because they're still trying to comprehend words and sentences, so it's hard for them to get the bigger picture. And so, again, that's not saying that teachers aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. That works. The general comprehension instruction works for a lot of kids, but if children are having a hard time processing language because of the way that they're wired, because they might have a certain diagnosis, then sometimes they just need some additional instruction to build those language skills. And that's exactly what a speech pathologist can do. So I recommend for those kids who struggle across the board like that, that the speech pathologist really start with those language skills. And That is because many times kids are not getting that support anywhere else. So they really need that 30 to 40 minutes that they're spending with the speech pathologist to be focused on those language skills specifically, because what that can do is actually build the language skills that you need in order to support those executive functions. So they need to have the language skills to support the high-level planning and the organization and all of those things that they need to do in order to do well on homework assignments and those specific academic tasks. And also, even just functional things, if they're having a hard time processing language, it will be hard for them to understand directions and things like that, both in the classroom and at home. So those things that the speech pathologist is working on are going to build their reading skills and their literacy skills, but it can also help functionally as well. So here's where it gets a little bit confusing. Language and executive functioning skills go together. So speech language pathologists are actually very qualified to support students with their executive functioning skills, but those are skills that go above and beyond those language skills that I was just talking about. So that's additional time and energy that the speech pathologist would have to be devoting to those specific skills in their therapy sessions. And that can be really challenging for a school SLP because a lot of times they don't necessarily have time to do both. Now, if you have someone who specializes in executive functioning and they have a private practice and they have time to work on both those language skills and those executive functioning skills, that's ideal because then it's this nice, easy continuum. But when we have therapists in the school, a lot of times they have to divide and conquer and figure out, okay, this child needs all of these skills that I'm qualified to support them with, but I only have so much time in my therapy sessions, so I need to figure out how to prioritize. So what I typically recommend that speech-language pathologists do is that they focus their direct work in therapy, at least initially, on those language skills. So things like vocabulary and syntax, if kids don't have those skills intact, 
And then what they can do is they can still be the person who is designing the intervention for executive functioning skills. But what they're doing is instead of spending their therapy time training the students on those skills and being the only person who's doing that, what they can do is spend a little bit of time teaching those skills in therapy, but also what they can do is then train other people to support the student with those executive functioning skills in other settings when they're not in that therapy session with the speech pathologist. And the reason that I recommend this in this particular fashion is because a lot of those language skills that kids need, it really benefits for them to have some really structured intervention, at least initially. But for executive functioning skills, that's something where right away you want it to be super functional. You want it to be in day-to-day situations where they can apply those skills initially. So what makes sense is that the speech pathologist might be the person who is talking about executive functioning and tracking it, but what they can do is then collaborate with other people in order to build those skills in their students. So how this could look in the schools is that they might be talking to the teachers who are embedding executive functioning into the things that they're already doing. Like I talked about the general education teacher and the special education teacher. They might be also working with some of the other professionals that I mentioned because a social worker or a psychologist for example, could also provide some additional support and executive functioning if the speech-language pathologist doesn't necessarily have time. So they are also qualified to do some of that and build some of those skills as well. But the person who can provide so much support with all of these things and really has a unique advantage as far as just having access to students and these children in functional day-to-day situations are the parents. So that's why I wanted to wrap up with talking about what the parents can do in this whole process. So a lot of parents will, will ask, you know, what can I do to support my child's literacy skills? And While I do recommend that you talk to your child's teacher, you talk to your child's speech pathologist to figure out, all right, what are you working on in your sessions and what skills can I be working on? Obviously, make sure that your kids are doing their homework or if the speech pathologist has you work on specific language skills, you can reinforce some of that at home when you're doing homework time. But what you can also be doing that's really powerful is working those executive functions into day-to-day tasks. And so this could be things like any type of routine that your child is doing day-to-day where they're struggling, where you're getting in arguments, where they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Maybe there's always pushback when you sit down to do homework. Maybe it's crazy to get out the door in the morning. Maybe mealtimes are a total disaster because everything is chaos. Whatever it is, that is a place where you can start with working on those executive functions. It could even be something simple like, okay, this week we're going to keep this room clean and we're going to spend 10 minutes every day cleaning this one designated area. 
that alone requires executive functioning and also teaches kids to be responsible as well. So how this could look in practice is that a speech pathologist, for example, could be working on the language and literacy and doing some specific practice there, and then could be working collaboratively with a parent, for example, and designing some kind of a protocol where you step-by-step are working through a specific routine and you and the speech pathologist might be designing something that you're going to work on with your child and then you go and implement it and then you can report back to the speech pathologist and talk about how it went and how you are going to change it for the future and what the the speech pathologist might be teaching your child in therapy to help reinforce what you're doing at home. And it's this seamless process. So really what they're doing is coaching you to implement whatever the strategy is, and then you're reporting back to them as well. And honestly, there could be some coaching going on the other way as well, because parents many times can provide a lot of really useful information to those professionals that are working with their kids as far as their kids' preferences, some things that work for them as far as emotional regulation, or just things that they know about their kids that would be useful in helping motivate them and just helping those professionals to have a better understanding of your child. So to clarify, I'm not saying, so for example, if you're a speech pathologist listening, I'm not saying that you shouldn't work on executive functioning in your therapy. You actually really should be, especially if you have time. What I am saying is that what you want to do, especially if you're a professional, and also if you're a parent, you want to be aware of this as well, but you want to figure out what things does this child need. So figure out the pie in the sky ideal intervention plan that would work for children. So for example, if you have a child who struggles with executive functioning and language processing, the ideal thing would be that they need intervention in language processing and they need support in executive functioning skills. In a perfect world, a speech pathologist, for example, could be providing both of those things in the therapy sessions. And then, of course, the parents could be going and taking that information and supporting them in other settings and and same with the teachers and other professionals that the speech pathologist is collaborating with. Now, many speech pathologists do have time to work on both in therapy. And then there are other times when kids might get to the point where their language skills are, are pretty solid or they're solid enough that you can shift the focus and really make it more about executive functioning. But for a lot of the students that I have had and a lot of the speech pathologists that I mentor, they do have quite a bit of students who need the support on the language skills. So those are things that absolutely have to be intact. And so if they have time to work on both of those things, great. But if they don't, or if they have a limited time and they have to prioritize, the way that you can get around that issue is that you want to figure out how can I pull in these other people who are supporting the kids and train them to do what I wish I could be doing in therapy. So 
again, if you're a parent, the ideal situation could be, and, and of course, this is so dependent on the resources that you have. It's great if you have a school speech pathologist who's working on the language and literacy skills, and then you have, if you have the resources to hire an outside therapist to be working with your child, then that is great if you're able to do that. But if you're not, what you could make work is that you could have the speech pathologist who's really working on those literacy skills, and then you're working together and figuring out, okay, what are the protocols that we need to work on? What are the routines that we need to work on day to day that this child is struggling with? And what would that look like? How do we step by step help this child to get through these day-to-day tasks? And who's going to do it? A lot of times, and I do recommend this to the speech pathologists I mentor, I say, you want to figure out what the child needs and make sure someone is doing it. It doesn't necessarily have to be you. Even if it's within your scope and you're qualified to provide that intervention, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are the only one that has to be delivering that intervention all the time. And if you're a parent, a lot of times parents sometimes feel like, oh, I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm doing, whatever. Yes, you are. You absolutely can learn these skills when you have the coaching and support from a professional. And this can really be a great partnership where you're both supporting the child. And even if you do have a therapist or a team of teachers that can really work on these skills really well, it's going to make such a difference if you're reinforcing those things at home. So that's how this can look on a high level. Again, teachers, general education teachers and special education teachers, they're providing that academic content and then they are embedding that instruction on how to stay organized and how to utilize steps to get through a task. They're embedding that in there. And then for kids who need it, someone like a speech pathologist or another therapist can work on those executive functioning skills in more of a therapeutic setting where they're building those connections and then also building those connections with those language skills. And then the parents can take those skills, especially executive functioning, because it's so functional and it's so important that they can get some coaching from some of those professionals and then figure out how to actually be the coach for their child in that daily setting. And that is how this can really work on a high level or at least a starting point for how you can figure out who's doing what when it comes to supporting kids. going to go ahead and wrap this up for now, but in the next episode, I'm going to continue this discussion because I've talked high level about how the therapist can be the coach for the parent and how everybody can be really working on executive functioning collaboratively, but in a different way. And so what I'm going to do in the next episode, in episode 31, is I'm going to talk about some specific things that need to be present as far as 
skills and shifts that need to happen when you're working on executive functioning during those functional activities. Because the next step is to understand, okay, aside from just knowing that parents can be working on independence and executive functioning during those day-to-day activities, and, and also speech pathologists as well can be giving that practice in functional settings if they have the access to the child in those situations. But the next step becomes, all right, what skills are we actually going to work on and what kind of shifts need to happen in the child when they're doing those functional tasks? So I am going to talk more specifically about that in the next episode. So stay tuned for that. For now, remember that if you want a guide that explains the red flags of executive dysfunction and also outlines what good executive functioning skills should look like so that you can identify if this is an area where your child might need support, you'll want to check out my free parent guide called Raising Motivated, Self-Sufficient, Organized Kids with Executive Functions. Again, all you need to do to download that guide is just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide. Before I wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it helps us so much if you share this information with people who you think might benefit from it. It helps us to get this in the hands of more people who need it. And also it'll probably help your friends out as well if they have a child that they're supporting. So remember to share this episode with your friends and colleagues if you know people who are supporting kids in growing up to be independent, successful human beings. For now, we'll wrap up, but I will see you in episode 31. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. 
If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.